to welcome Anna, who's going to speak, as we can see, about the aesthetic experience in Henri Alden in Kandinsky. Well, uh, uh, thank you very much for inviting me here. So in this paper, I would like to compare how Michel Henry and another leading French phenomenologist uh, of the last century, Henri Mazinet, interpreted Kandinsky's heritage. Well, uh, I, I hope everybody knows who Michel Henry was. Henri Mazinet was born in uh, 1912 and died in 2013. So he lived a very long life. Uh, he's not translated into English at all. Um, and he was a chair of uh, phenomenological anthropology and aesthetics. So he worked, uh, he worked on aesthetics and on uh, psychopathology, basically. Yeah, so he's, you know, the preferred author was, you know, from one side it's, uh, you know, Erwin Strauss and uh, Ludwig Binswanger, and from the other side, you know, this is a French poetry, like Dubouchet and also Hölderin, of course, and uh, Paul Klee. So, yes, yeah, I will tell immediately that, that Michel Henry liked Kandinsky and Maldinet disliked. So, you know, we will study why it worked like this. So, for, I start with uh, Michel Henry. Uh, for Henri, Kandinsky is most and foremost a painter of the invisible life, as opposed to the life external, objective, representable. You know, for you know, his the main quotation from Kandinsky uh, for Maldini, for Michel Henry is this one: any phenomenon can be experienced in two ways. These two methods are not spontaneous but associated with the phenomena themselves. They originate from the nature of phenomenon. Uh, from two properties of the same thing, interior and exterior. So this is the opposition of interior and exterior. Uh, this opposition of internal and external, which opens Kandinsky's book Points and Line to Plane, is interpreted by Henri as an opposition of two modes of uh, manifestation, two modes of appearing. Uh, how the world appears and how the life appears. Uh, Basically, you know, the uh, objects appear uh, to me in not the same way as I am aware of myself, of my own life. Uh, so, Henri seeks to overcome the dualism of sensuous and intelligible, of the aesthetic, or, you know, to employ Husserlian terminology, heletic and the noetic, that is animated by the acts of consciousness. Uh, an attempt to reduce the richness of the sensuous perception with its multi layered affective fullness to the bare sensuous data it was made in ideas uh, one for example to the soulless matter which has to be animated by the intentionality of consciousness is seen by Michel Henry as uh, you know unjustifiable simplification a kind of philosophical naivety uh, you know it means for him that intentionality is not the general structure of the consciousness and it is not the uh, basic structure of the subject you know, below, you know, in the basis of the intentional experience, uh, as experience of this certain objectiveness, yeah, you know, Gegenständlichkeit, uh, uh, there is a most, you know, you know, the most basic layer of inner life. So everything of importance takes place deeper on non-intentional or pre-intentional level. Uh, so, as well as pain, my, my pain, my joy, my anger are given to me from inside. Uh, 
the uh, in my invisible inner life, my awareness of myself and my emotions are deeper than my experience of the world as the world of objects. Uh, um, one could say with the Paul Claire that the goal of art is not to reproduce the visible, it's not mimetic, which Kandinsky calls external, but rather to make the internal, the invisible, which belongs to the, not to the world, but to the absolute subjectivity. So we are, you know, we are not reproducing the visible, we are making visible invisible. This is, you know, a kind of a problem, yes, you know. So what kind of access we have to the invisible? We can paint it as the impressionist did it, or we can make it in a totally different way. This is the uh, basic uh, thesis of Henri. So, the goal is not to transform the internal into the external, the invisible into the visible. The invisible must stay invisible, and the access to it is granted to us by Kandinsky's pictures in not a vision in a strict sense, but something rather different. In other words, the teleology of art is kind of similar to the teleology of intentionality. That its goal is to make us see. But here we're talking about two different types of vision as an access to the phenomenon. The vision in the sense of intentionality is a vision of something concrete, is a vision of objects. But not so much vision, but perhaps recognition, as you know, Shklovsky or some other you know, Russian uh, theoretics of art could say. Such vision is based on perception, and that's a sort of grasping of sense of a thing, of its essence, of you know, its character of an object. However, what Kandinsky does is, you know, we see, you know, it's called bespredmetne, which means uh, without the object, objectless. Uh, uh, and uh, this is, you know, Henri's claim. Uh, when I see a woman or mannequin, I can see a woman and take it for a mannequin, take it for a woman or elsewhere, and can then change my opinion. But when I see, I always see something definite. Uh, a work of art, says Andre, doesn't aim to show us an object that is definite. This cathedral, this apple. Indeed, painting gives us an access to the manifold, volatile, elusive, incoherent variety of sensuous data, colors, chains, lights, shades, shapes. Such is the goal of art art. But in Kandinsky, this urge reaches its absolute peak. Unlike Impressionism, Cubism, or even, you know, transcendentally abstract art, like Malevich, for example, the aim of Kandinsky's painting is not to return to the genuine perception, but, uh, you know, so not reproduction of the genuine perception on the canvas, but, on the contrary, a recreation of a certain experience in ourselves. Uh, so, unlike the Impressionists who tried to reproduce the perception, Kandinsky's patient, paintings are based not on a perception, but on a counter-perception. Uh, on a counter-perception. Uh, sorry. Uh, on the destruction to the reference to an object. The intentional perception of a thing in its infinite horizon is replaced by the immediately of the sense uh, experience of colors and shapes that awaken the subjectivity of the creator or the spectator, these multi-layered, affective, or like Henry says, pathetic response. Pathetic doesn't mean pathetic in English, you know, it's how you know the word pathetic 
is translated into English. Yeah, I'm sorry, as I'm using the translation, you know, letters. So this, of course, you know, this is a big question of language, but I have only 20 minutes, so we have to skip it. Uh, so, Henri sees in Kandinsky a kind of a cartoon mystic who gives us an experience of mystical knowledge or knowledge without objects in its artistic form. The creator's task is to share emotions with others, but not as a particular affective experience, uh, as a vibration of soul, as Kandinsky put it, but rather as a specific praxis, the praxis of transformation of subjectivity. The other words, the reason why the aim of the abstract art is not the mimesis of emotional life, is the same reasons why the aim of art is not the mimesis of the objective world. Sorry. Uh, abstract art doesn't reproduce the life of the cell of a painting, but produces it, brings it into action. Art is not the becoming of life, the way in which this becoming is carrying out, says Henry. Uh, he quotes Kandinsky, who said, I don't want to pay states of mind. So the uh, Kandinsky uh, art is the epiphany of life itself. It doesn't reproduce life, it resurrects it on a canvas. Uh, so then, what about Maldini? Uh, Maldini is, well, you know, we see, you know, all the paintings are by Kandinsky. Uh, but this is a little bit different Kandinsky, as we see, yeah? So, Maldine sees Kandinsky's art in a totally different light. He describes it as a statical Euclidism, as a dry, soulless catalog form of consciousness, as an alphabet of affects. So, from one hand, the theoretical positions of Henri and Maldine have much in common. Like Henri, Maldine understands intentionality only as a derived form of the life of consciousness. The, uh, uh, he emphasizes the importance of senses and, and uh, affective experience. The, uh, you know, he says we have to leave the Kantian experience and move to the passive experience, which he calls, like Henri, a uh, But, however, these are you know, big difference. For, you know, Madine, the crucial concept is a stasis, which he borrowed from uh, Erwin Strauss. And for him to, to sense, uh, you know, and to have an aesthetic experience mean almost the same. But so, you know, to empfinden, le sentir, doesn't mean, you know, to perceive through senses, but rather, you know, to experience, to live through. When I sense and feel, I make contact with the world of the world and not at the world of a collection of objects. I relate to the things without objectivating them. In other words, in building his philosophy of aesthetics, Maldinet employs meaning and not phenomenon as a mere tool, his second basic concept. Yes, in Henri we have seen you know, two modes of appearance, two modes of manifestation. Here we have two kind of uh, two kind of meanings. Uh, the, uh, this is the same as in uh, Erwin Strauss. The gnostic meaning, gnostische, which is gnosik, and the pathic one, which is kind of pathetic, but not pathetic, also, also linked to, to passion. So, yeah. Uh, this perfect meaning is not an objective or neomatic meaning, because it doesn't concern what, but doesn't, it concerns how, uh, 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 but uh, it uh, it is uh, you know it relates to the uh, normal meaning, like 
uh, Strauss says uh, the um, scream relates to the uh, uh, speech. So it's, it is not a definite meaning. The reference here is made not to a determined object, but to the world at the moment of the becoming a known and a comprehensible world. Or as uh, Mardine puts it, a world that it has not yet crystallized in object. Uh, so yes, you know, we see you know, that uh, for uh, Henri, uh, the ideal painting is uh, the painting without object. Uh, for Maldinet, the ideal painting, for example, that of Cézanne or Claire, this is uh, the painting that represents a world not yet crystallized in object. Uh, this is the difference. Uh, so yes, yeah, you know, uh, uh, Maldinet, you know, explains this in terms of, uh, you know, Herder's theory of Ursprungliches uh, Empfindung, which, you know, uh, 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 in a poetical attitude, the word appears as for the first time, new, unexplored, not yet grasped, and uh, not yet well defined. And he translates this Ursprungliche Empfindung by Husserlian term Prot Impression, which is, of course, not Ursprungliche Empfindung, but rather Urimpression. So, but Mazinek, who speaks perfect German, you know, however, he makes this. Uh, so, because, you know, in the sensing, you know, uh, understood as well as on a sensual and emotional, ontologically understood level, we're genuinely in a communication with the world in its intuitive form, in this instantaneous sense. So, yeah, Martinet very much like Henri sees uh, the essence of Kandinsky aesthetical theory in the opposition of the external and the internal, but for him, this is a bad sign, a sign of a pathology, in a psychological sense. The work of Kandinsky affects and impresses us because of the isomorphism he had discovered between pictorial components of a painting and the elementary components of the affectivity. <sighs> Maldinet reads being in the world as being to the world, so when Kandinsky turns away from the external in order to embrace the internal, here, you know, claims Maldinet, Kandinsky renounces the world and no longer cares for it. The subjectivity is no longer understood as transcending to the world and becomes itself a kind of the object, but not, you know, a physical object, but, you know, a digital object. Uh, so this is a kind of uh, attempt to translate the pathic into the language of a intuition, in the language of Wissenschaft. Uh, so, the... Um, Ideal object in Kandinsky pictures, you know, they like uh, they like rhythm. There are no gaps, there are no hiatus, and if there is a tension, of course, there's a big, you know, the, everybody feels tensions when he looks, uh, you know, on this. You know, they are, you know, this tension is purely special, not temporal tension. This is, you know, Maldinet's point. The new objectivism of abstract composition is without memory and without history. Uh, Kandinsky as indifferent to history, agrees Michel Henry. But for him, uh, this indifference is a freedom from history and is the exit into the dimension of eternity. Although at this moment in history, we are accustomed to historical analysis, uh, the essence of art, the essence of life is eternity and not history, because we're living, we experience life. Uh, uh, 
the essence of pathetic subjectivity awakened in art consists precisely in these experiences, in the passivity of life in regards of self. So, yeah, uh, it has a different, a temporal mobility. The dialectic of life doesn't mean an ecstatic exit from the self. Uh, it doesn't mean self-negation. Its prototype is the alchemical transformation of the lead into gold, and not the opposition of that, uh, of, uh, you know, of, of what is, what is, what, which is, to what, what, which was. So, the transformation of sadness into joy, or suffering into delight, doesn't suggest a negation, an annulment of preceding phase of affective life, no replacement. Uh, the life of a soul, like the divine life, knows no alienation. Bread and wine become body and blood without ceasing to be bread and wine. Uh, well, you know, actually, you know, the most interesting book of uh, Andrei is not about Kandinsky and even not about phenomenology, but about Marx, where he says that revolution is wrong because, you know, revolution is alienation. The good thing, you know, the good revolution should be alchemical revolution. Yeah, this is a great point, I think. Um, so this is, uh, you know, this is a kind of spiritual transformation that is caused in us by Kandinsky's paintings. The transformation of subjectivity doesn't obey the law of the excluded third. Well, Maldini's approach to the transformation of the subject is completely different. For him, it's a rupture. It's a dramatic rearrangement of the structures of meaning. A little bit like, you know, Jan Patishko, you know, idea that the meaning is something that can be lost. Uh, that without this, there's no problematicity of meaning, and without this, there's no sense of life and no history of it. So, the transformation of the subject is always a catastrophe, a revolution, an event. Then, then can be appropriated only because of the life of the subject has certain gaps. One could say that the subject has lived through a radical transformation only if his or her way of being in the world has changed. So, the possible source of such a shake-up is sensing, which is a pathetic moment. As, as he has said, that suffering teaches us because pathos is full of meaning, explains Maldini. So, yes, yeah. This is how I touch the inner instability of being, which is a true reality. With the work of art, which is a rhythmically organized form of aesthetics, confronts the subject with the unforeseeable gaps, lacunas, discontinuities. Uh, and this is exactly this experience of failed expectation, breakdown, reconstruction of the structures of meaning that Maldini misses in the work of Kandinsky. These pictures are too harmonious. They are too clear. Uh, you know, the sovereign design of the artist is too obvious in them. So the nothing is lacking in them. And this lacking of luck brings what? Anxiety. Which reflects the claustrophobic and almost schizophrenic experience of all control over the world and the self. So, I'm concluding. Both Henriya uh, and Maldine agree that Kandinsky painting as an art is free from the experience of the world and free from the experience of time. The unsettling, unsettling impact of his works is due to the radical outer affection that doesn't imply communication with the world. They believe his work probably this is Kandinsky's expression. Yeah, I'm looking for people who will be lived by the spectators properly. Yes, yeah. So uh, those who live through his works properly undergo a specific atemporal and unhistorical transformation. That Andrea Maldini disagree 
is the evaluation of Kandinsky's work is due to the deep metaphysical divergence concerning the nature of subjectivity. But then, you know, you know, already, yes, you know, I have to finish, and I say, you know, what does it mean? You know, we have two descriptions of experience made by two great phenomenologists, and however, they disagree. But it looks that they don't disagree on the level of experience, of the level of description. They disagree on the level of the language they use of this description, not the language in the sense of, you know, French, they both French, yeah, you know, but on the level of conceptual language. And, you know, while Henri uses the conceptual language more or less of the Eckhartian mystics, uh, Maldine, you know, which is much closer, yeah, to, you know, Strauss, Benzwanger, yes, and also Paul Klee and uh, all this tradition which goes back to Jakob Böhme, you know, he uses a different type of uh, conceptual language. And this is why it looks they disagree. However, you know, I think that uh, Oregon Fink was right, and there is no transparent language is phenomenology. Every time we are making a phenomenological description, we always distort reality. We always, you know, uh, overdetermine it. And that's why, you know, all our description has to be corrected by the other phenomenologists, by the whole uh, community of phenomenologists. That's why we need, you know, intersubjective inter community, not only of all people, but especially of phenomenologists. Thank you. Thank you.